I feel like I feel like I've been failing. I feel like I've been failing in every aspect of my life. I told my husband that um, a couple weeks ago. It had been a rough day, and I just felt so overwhelmed and it depleted at the same time. And my refrain to him over and over, I just feel like I can't get a win. I feel like a failure. I feel like a failure as a pastor, as a friend, as a wife, as a mom, as a person. And like I said, it had been a rough day. And I just remember sitting with him, and he just looked at me. He said, you're focusing on the wrong things. And I know this. I know this up here. But it wasn't what I was feeling in my heart. I know that there are many good things in my life. I know that I am blessed in ways that I am so grateful for with faith, with friends, with family, with just meaningful work. And what he was trying to tell me was that I was just focusing in on the problems, the mistakes I'd made, the things that weren't going well, just difficulties. And I recognize that, but, and I love a big but. Not like that, you all. God, you're dirty-minded. No, I do. I seriously love the big but. And the big but is this. It's the same thing your supervisor would use with you. Carl, you're doing really good with widgets, but... Your communication could use some work. You ever hear that line? Someone kind of pads what they want to correct in you with some nice things up front, but then they go for the punch after a nice big old butt. And the thing with the butt is it negates everything that came before, doesn't it? And I do this across the board in so many areas, and mostly when I talk to myself. Um, but I do use, it's like, you know, I talk to my kids sometimes. I'm like, that's really nice, sweetie, but I've just made everything I said before irrelevant. Because now the focus is on what comes after the but. And that's how I kind of live my life. It's like, these are good things, but... And that's how the story goes so often in my own head. And that's where I give the attention. It's not on all the good stuff. It's on all the things that are wrong, the problems, the mistakes, the hardship. And the thing is, I know that in the scheme of things, all of the things are true. 
The mistakes happen. The problems need to be solved. The good stuff is still the good stuff. But it, what gets the majority of my attention? What gets my focus is always the problems. Because if it's good, then it doesn't need work, does it? And I love to be a problem solver. I love to find the solution. I love to pick at what's wrong. But the problem with that kind of focus for myself is then I focus on what is minor in the scheme of things. I'm not focused on what really should be the main thing. And the problem with sometimes doing that is it starts to shift things. It starts to push things out of alignment. And when things are out of alignment, even sometimes just a little bit, it can start to cause us to drift. To drift away from what is important, what is valuable, what is critical, what is most meaningful. See, when cars are out of alignment, it can sometimes be the minor thing of like, handling can be an issue. Or even more so, it starts to wear on the vehicle itself and starts to cause damage that has to be repaired. And I think the same thing happens to us. See, when we start to, to really focus in on all the minor things, and they may not even be problems, but we start to focus on the things that we have control over, right? Because that's easier to deal with. But then we start to hyper-focus and drift away from what's foundational, what really is essential and what is most important and most meaningful in our lives. And today I wanna to talk about how that focus in our lives is so important and also, how do we maintain that focus? You see, I want us to look at the person of Paul in particular right now. And Paul is, is one of the major figures in our New Testament writing. He's a central figure. He has written the majority of the letters that we read in our Bible. And his writings are often about bringing the church back into alignment getting them to refocus on what is essential, what is meaningful, and what is most important. And he will engage in these arguments through these letters again and again for the sake of the gospel. And as he does this, it's interesting that as he engages in these arguments that sometimes his opponents come back at him not just about his arguments but about his very character and his very identity. And they challenge him in that. And each time Paul comes back at them to remind them that his identity is rooted in Jesus and what Jesus did, not what Paul or anyone else did. 
And as he deals with those individuals in the church, and I'm talking about the big church overall, the church that spanned regions and territories, not just simply one small location. The thing is, as he's dealing with these things, often what they're focused on aren't necessarily always evil or wrong. They're just minor and distracting. And they take the church out of alignment. Now, the big issue comes down in the church to circumcision. Because so many of the first Christians grew up Jewish. So they were circumcised. They kept kosher. They kept the Sabbath. These were markers of their identity and their faith as Jews. And then when they come to faith in Christ, they continue to kind of hold on to these ethnic identity things. And they were critical signifiers of what it meant to be Jewish. But as the Christian faith expanded to Gentiles, those non-Jews, some within the community began to question, well, they now have faith in Christ like we do, but do they need to become Jewish like we are? And it became an issue, an argument, a conversation that went from a conversation into an argument. See, they started to focus not so much on the faith in Christ as they began to focus on the behaviors that they valued. They focused on externals. Behaviors that they personally deemed important for belonging. So they started to focus on, do you keep kosher? Do you follow the dietary guidelines? Because if you don't, you're going to need to. Do you keep the Sabbath? Well, you're going to have to need to do that. Are you circumcised? Well, let's get that taken care of. And it's that last one that they really focused on because it was really easy to tell. You know, it's kind of hard to sometimes tell if somebody's keeping kosher and how they eat or if they're keeping the Sabbath. But you can certainly tell if someone's circumcised or not. I know this might be a little graphic at the moment. Don't worry. We're going to move on. <laughs> so you can imagine how this is going down in the communities as these Gentiles come to faith. And they're like, hearing kind of the evangelism that's going on in this vein. Have you heard about our Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior? And have you experienced the joy of circumcision? Yeah, it's not a great tactic. It actually was becoming a barrier because people were excited about Jesus. They were excited about the story of Jesus, of his life, his death, and his resurrection, and what it meant for them. But they weren't too excited about circumcision for obvious reasons. And as this argument continues in the faith community, 
it became apparent that they were focused on external markers of faith. And the thing is, it gets settled in Jerusalem that as a community they came together and they, they kind of talked about what was essential in the faith. And we read about this in Acts 15. And Paul will summarize it in Galatians. Let me read it for you. James, Cephas, was also known as Peter, and John, those esteem pillars, those giants in the faith, those people who walked and talked with Jesus, those esteem pillars. And remember, this is Paul writing this. These guys gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. You see, Paul had been an evangelist to the Gentiles. He was sharing the gospel, the good news, with Gentiles, non-Jews, and they were coming to faith. And Paul wanted to continue that work, but he knew that this issue of circumcision was going to be a barrier. And so when he went to those pillars, those giants of the faith in Jerusalem, to have a conversation. They were in agreement. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They would continue their work in Jewish communities, and Paul would continue his work in Gentile communities. All they asked, so this is the only requirement they put on this, all they asked that we continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So the community, the leaders in the community are in agreement that circumcision is not critical to the gospel and the saving power of Jesus. The thing is, though, it won't die. <laughs> it keeps coming back up. And people keep kind of challenging Paul in this. And I believe that we still wrestle with some of this today. Not the circumcision part. But we wrestle with what does it mean to be a Christian? What makes you a Christian as opposed to someone who's not? Is it the way you talk? Do you cuss? Do you not cuss? Is it the way you act? Is it the things that you do or don't do? Sometimes is it even the way you dress? Do good Christian women wear yoga pants? That's an important one, right? Or even wear makeup? Or have long hair or short hair? There's all sorts of barriers we love to put in the gospel. Because we believe that those external markers are important. And the thing is, there's nothing really wrong with them. They, in of themselves, are fairly neutral. But when we make them a criteria for someone belonging to the body of Christ, that's the problem. Because they are not essential to salvation. And they become a distraction to what is essential. And it is fascinating to me that as Paul engages in these arguments and they start to attack his character, his identity, they're attacking Paul who is a Jew. And actually someone whose credentials are pretty impressive. You know, he'll give his kind of pre-Christ biography. 
And his first one in, in Galatians. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He's kind of the Jew's Jew, you know, like a man's man, but a Jew Jew. And I, I say that kind of flippantly, but Paul is very serious in this of, I know our traditions. I have lived them. I have breathed them. I have actually persecuted Christians because I believed that they were a problem because they didn't adhere to our traditions. And he gives a fuller kind of biography in Philippians. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul sets this up. He's like, I get what you're saying. I get your arguments. I used to believe in them too. Until I met Jesus. But whatever were gains to me, whatever my credentials afforded me before, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ. That's pretty strong words. And Paul loves to kind of engage in some exaggeration at times, but I think he's very serious about how important, how essential is Christ to him. Everything else can fade away. It's not that they didn't have value for them. It's not that he doesn't value his heritage, but he values Christ more. Christ is the focus. Jesus is the main thing. And as we think about our own identity, as we think about what gives us belonging in the family of God, our identity as Christians, I think we need to look to Paul in this. For Paul, his identity, the gospel he embraces is so rooted deeply in Jesus that he knows that faith in Christ alone saves. The other things he would probably say were important to his upbringing. They're part of his cultural identity, but they are not central. Christ is the most important thing to him. Knowing Christ is the priority. And he'll drill down into this further in the letter to the Galatians. And we look at it in chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. Let me read them for us. 
We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. Again, he loves to play with language. And he's pointing out to those he's arguing with, I know all your tactics. So, you know, we Jews by birth, we who grew up in the faith, we know this. We're not sinful like those Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. It doesn't matter what external practices you engage in if your heart is not set on Jesus. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? If I am hanging out with a bunch of Gentiles, is that going to corrupt me? Again, no, because it's from within. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. If I would tear down the gospel, I have been preaching and rebuild it into something else. I would be wrong. That's what Paul is saying. For though the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. There's a lot going on there. But here, the critical piece is what Paul makes the most basic point of, is Jesus, the Messiah. That Jesus' faithfulness is what is most important. He is the true Israelite. He's the true Hebrew. And in belonging to Jesus, we find our identity in God. We find our identity with God's people. That is how we belong. All who are in the Messiah, all who claim Christ through faith, are the true people of God. They are the ones who belong, who are Christian. And that means Gentiles, as well as Jews, as well as anyone who claims Christ. So what does that make us? It makes us Christ's people. It makes us Christians. It makes us the church body whose life is now at work in us. And since in Jesus, the central thing is his loving faithfulness, his sacrifice, our response is faithfulness in return. That is what defines a Christian. Not our external markers, not all the things that we do. 
is our response of faith to the God who has sent his son to die for us. That's the very heart of our identity. That's the main focus. And I, <laughs> I have to be so honest here is that I lose sight of that a lot. I get distracted. I get distracted by my circumstances, by what happens to me in my everyday. I get distracted when my kids are just beside themselves and losing their minds, so I just join them in it. When I get, when I get an email that just kind of wrecks me, I forget what's the main thing. Who is the main thing? See, I often like to focus on my accomplishments or my failings because those are within my control, aren't they? I focus on those things because I can noodle on them. I can work on them. I can fix them. I have this lovely false sense of control over my own life and destiny when my focus on my accomplishments and my failings. And when I focus on that, I lose sight of what the central message is, the reality of the gospel alive in me. See, we are invited into this beautiful freedom. And it's not that what we do doesn't matter, but it's not the priority. See, what we do becomes kind of gravy on top of it all, or the icing on the cake. See, when we live out the gospel in that freedom of knowing that what I do doesn't matter, so what I do doesn't matter. I know that sounds a little confusing, and it confuses me all the time, but the beauty of it is I then have freedom to know that what Jesus did is all that matters, and everything else is details or expressions, or maybe external behaviors that I engage in as a follower of Christ, but it doesn't define me as a follower of Christ. See, we're invited to live out the gospel in freedom. We're invited to share how we have been blessed by this grace with others, so that they too might experience it maybe through us. But these, again, nice big butt. But these actions do not save or define us as Christ's followers. Jesus does. See, when I focus on that, I have incredible freedom to take risks. To live fully. To love with great abandon. To not focus on all that is wrong and instead to focus on all that is right, all that is beautiful, all that is good. Because when I focus on that, my worldview shifts. My perspective suddenly change. That means my circumstances, yeah, they're rough. But that eternal perspective doesn't change. See, when we're in alignment, we can continue that direction. 
towards Jesus. We know where our heart finds its greatest joy and meaning. Now, the hard thing about all of this is it has to do with trust. We trust in that freedom. And freedom is scary because we did nothing to deserve it. And we did nothing to deserve it, and we still don't deserve it. See, a lot of us are uncomfortable accepting something for nothing. There's got to be a catch, right? And I've seen this even in, in giving someone a bottle of water. I've had people pull out crumpled bills to hand me a dollar for a bottle of water that probably cost about eight cents. Because they can't receive that simple of a gift. That might be why salvation is so hard for some of us to simply live into and receive. See, we want to pay for it, don't we? We don't want to just receive a gift that's freely given. We want to know that we earned it. But Christ invites us to live out this freedom and gratitude, not pay off a debt that we think we owe. The debt, the debt is gone. It was wiped clean some 2,000 years ago, friends. So you trying to accomplish more, do more, to earn it, it's gone. You're not paying off any debt. It's done. See, when Paul is writing to this Galatian church, these churches in this region, he knows that what they're believing is a distraction. Is it impediment to them understanding the freedom and the joy that Jesus has already given them that they simply need to experience? But that because they are distracted by this, it's starting to destroy their community. And so Paul is keeping this front and center with them because he wants to remind them, you've already been set free. You're no longer slaves. You're no longer in bondage to this. You've been set free, so live like it. Stop putting your chains back on or carrying them around like some weight. Instead, receive the gift and live into it. We're saved by faith, not works, that we receive the gospel. The gospel that the good news that God is redeeming and restoring the world through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And that we simply need to stay in alignment with that truth. And that as people who receive that good news, we are invited to share that with others. And we do that best through loving God and loving others. And loving others as we love ourselves. And I wonder sometimes why we, we can't accept that gift is because we don't 
think we're worthy of that kind of love. But we're not the ones who get to determine that worthiness. Christ does, and he's already said, you're worthy of this love because I say so. Not because of anything you've done or will do in this life. So receive the gift and live it. Because when Christ is central, there's this beautiful freedom. The outward markers, they may be meaningful to you. They may be valuable to you. But don't let them become central or essential. Allow your heart to be rooted in the gospel. And allow those other things to become expressions of that love that you've experienced in Jesus. So when we kind of practice those things that become outward markers, right? Prayer, communion, baptism, gathering in community, it is always focused on the essential truth of God's gospel. And I'm going to invite you into a practice I'm going to engage in this week. That I am going to focus on verse 20 from the second chapter of Galatians as a reminder to myself of what to keep the main thing. The verse is, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I need reminders on what to focus on, what to keep my attention on, what to keep my alignment with in order to be heading in that direction toward Jesus. So if you want to join me, it's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Maybe you put it as a note in your phone. Snap a screenshot of it. From your Bible app. Maybe you write it on an index card or a post-it note and put it somewhere that you're going to see it on a regular basis. Maybe set an alarm on your phone and label it Galatians 2.20. Help yourself remember what is essential. What determines your perspective and your worldview. That when we maintain that focus on Christ, that we find that we love because he first loved us. That when Christ is all that we need, we find freedom and grace that overflows to the world. Amen.